Today we'll focus on the prayer of mercy and, and justice. And let me start by saying all of us who have been through uh, this situation where you are driving and maybe sometimes you overspeed. And some of you, it's not sometimes, it's always. But you, you, you go over the limit. <laughs> then the traffic cops, they stop you. And they want to give you a ticket. And you start to plead for mercy. When, when you plead for mercy, you, you don't try to prove them wrong. When you plead for mercy, you don't try to justify your actions. When you plead for mercy, you, you are saying, uh, I am wrong, I overspent, but could you give me what I do not deserve? And that is forgiveness. Can you forgive me? And that's what you call mercy. When they forgive you and they do not write you a ticket, it's mercy. And I want to say that mercy is not fairness. Mercy is not fairness. So it's, it's, not, it's not fair. Sometimes it's unfair. And I want us to look at one gentleman that we all know. Um, I'm going to share my screen with you for a moment. We, we all know this man, David. We all know David. And God something, he said something very remarkable about David. In Acts chapter 13 verse 22, we find those words being echoed again. Acts 13 verse 22, the Bible says, But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything that I want him uh, to do. He will do everything that I want him to do. You know, the, um, the Bible talks about David as a model king of Israel. When you read the book of Samuel, the book of Kings and Chronicles, they, they describe his many successes. And God even says in 1 Samuel chapter 13 verse 14, which is repeated in the book of Acts, God says, this is a man after my own heart. It's a man after my own heart. But if you look at David, David was not a perfect man. He was not a perfect man. There are some few things that I want us to, uh, to look at today. David had his own failures. But God still called him a man after my own heart. And that sounds so contradictory. I mean, you would, have, you would expect somebody who is perfect to be called a man after God's own heart. You see, God still, you know, he fulfills his covenant with David. Mm -hmm. And God treats David with mercy. He treats David with mercy. In spite of his failings, in spite of his shortcomings. I want us to look at who, who is this guy, who is this king, who is this David that we are talking about today. Now David was the second king of Israel after King Saul. Saul was appointed 
and anointed by the prophet Samuel. So David came after Saul. He succeeded Saul. Saul was the first king of Israel. And by the way, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. He was from the uh, tribe of Benjamin. And that's why even Paul in the New Testament, his original name is Saul. Now, let me say this. I know a lot of preachers, they make a lot of mistakes. And they preach and shout and say, Saul, after he met, God, he met Christ, he changed his name to Paul. That is wrong. That is not biblical. There is no way where the Bible says Saul changed his name to Paul. Saul was the his Hebrew name. It was used within the Hebrews, within his, uh, his tribe, if you would. The same name Saul in Greek, when you go outside the tribe, it was Paul. So it's the same name. He did not change his name. He did not change his name. And the reason why he was called Saul is because Saul the king, the first king of Israel, he was from the tribe of Benjamin. And this Paul also, or Saul, he was also from the uh, tribe of Benjamin. So his parents, they named his name, they named him after King Saul. So let's not uh, confuse it. But what I'm trying to say is, David succeeded Saul. And then David's son, Solomon, he took over the, the kingdom. And after, after Solomon, actually Solomon was the last one uh, who had the same kingdom of Israel united. After, after Solomon, the kingdom was divided into two. The northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, that's the Galilee area. And the southern kingdom, that's the Judea area. But then what we, we see about David, his palace was in Jerusalem. His palace was in Jerusalem. In actual fact, the archaeological diggings have identified his city in Jerusalem. They call it the city of David. It is still there even today. I, I got a chance to, uh, to visit it and see the place. So his house was on top of the hill. Just, I mean, below, below it, it was the, what you call the Kidron Valley. It is still there. So if you look, that's where Jerusalem is. Jerusalem is up. And that's where David, as the king, that's where his house was. But below him, you go down, there's a Kidron Valley. The other side of the valley, I mean, Kidron Valley, there's a very small uh, river that uh, it's still there even today. It still flows in the Kidron Valley. The other side of the valley, that's where we have the Mount of Olives. So the Kidron Valley, it separates the Temple Mount. This is a side where there is the temple and the house of david and the other side we have the mount of olives and, and remember jesus he crossed the kidron valley so many times when he was traveling between jerusalem and bethany because bethany was on the other side of the actually it is still there on the other side of the kidron valley that's where the mount of olives are bethany that's where uh, lazarus and his two sisters mary and martha used to live so the valley contains what you call the Garden of Gethsemane. The Garden of Gethsemane. That's where Jesus prayed before he was arrested. He prayed the, the night before he was crucified. So today we'll look at David and see how he, I mean, I said he was not perfect. How he abused his status. And he sinned before God. 
You know, there are three F's that I always talk about. Three F's that always bring the man of God down. Fame, finances, and females. Fame, finances, and females. Many powerful men of God have lost their faith because of these three F's. So people in power, you know, they've been covering up instances of sexual abuse for many years. Goes back uh, to the biblical times. And the Bible boldly exposes, it, ex, it, ex, it, ex, I mean, it exposes to us the examples of sexual abuses. We have seen that against uh, Sarah, was at some point was taken by a king uh, of Egypt. You know, we see also Hagar who was abused by Abraham. We see Dinah, we see Tamar, we see Bathsheba. And today we'll focus on Bathsheba who was abused by David. Was abused by, uh, by David. You know, it sounds like shocking. It sounds like shocking because it comes at the hands of none other than Jesus' most famous ancestor, King David. King David. The story sounds very ancient. But the issue remains timely always, even today. You know, this sexual abuse problem is still continuing even today. Actually, I was reading some uh, statistics. You know, here in the U.S., recently... Uh, there was a big wave of sexual abuse stories that led to the creation of the Me Too movement. Me Too movement. You know, in South Africa, I mean, the annual statistics just came out and it confirmed that more than almost 43,000 people have been raped between 2019 and 2020. And what it means is there are about 115 rapes a day. Every day there are about 115 people that are being raped. When you look in 2022, just before January and March this year, there were about 10,900 cases of rape that have been reported. That have been reported. Not though, we don't count those that have not been reported. And what it simply means is if you compare last year and this year, there are about 14% increase of sexual abuse and rape. Like I said, the true number of rapes, it's likely we, we may not get the exact number because most of them, they remain un unreported. And what it means, this is very painful. This is very painful. What it means is more than 40% of South African women, they will be raped in their lifetime. That's a very, very sad reality about our country. And you know, Interpol... They have named South Africa the rape capital of the world. So, if you look at 10 women, four of them have been raped. Out of every 10 women, four of them have been raped. And this shows the sexual abuse problem that we have, that it's a very, very big problem. A very, very big problem. Now, we look at David. David's house was in an elevated area. It was just above the hill. Actually, it's just I mean, the archaeological diggings, they found that it's still, uh, there are still some remains there. I want us to look at who is this David? Who is this David? Who is this man that we are talking about here? Who is this man that God calls a man after his own heart? 
Why, why does God call him a man, a man after his own heart? There are, there are things that he has done that God called him a man after his own heart. Here I got a chance to go and see the city of David. That's where his house was. It's on top of the hill. On top of the hill. Let's quickly go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, and we'll read about this man that we are talking about here. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 1, the Bible says, In the spring of the year, when kings normally, underline the word normally, which means it was normal, it was expected for the king to go out to war. When there was war, the king was expected, it was normal for the king to go with his warriors, to go with his soldiers to war. But look at David. David sent Joab. Instead of him going to lead the, the battle, the Bible says David said he sent Joab and the Israelite army to fight the Ammonites. They destroyed the Ammonites army and laid siege of the city of Reba. However, David stayed behind. The Bible keeps emphasizing it was normal for the king to go with his soldiers, to go with his army. However, but David did something different. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. He stayed behind in Jerusalem. He relaxed. Instead of going to the battle, he relaxed. Brothers, we are, we are, we are in a warfare. We are in a warfare. You can't, you can't relax. Every day we are in a warfare. We are fighting. And this spiritual battle, it continues Day after day after day after day. Nobody is immune from this battle. All of us, we have to take our arms and go and fight. Verse 2. Late one afternoon, after his midday rest, it means he took a, he took a nap. <laughs> he took a nap. He had nothing to do. Other men, they have gone out to war to fight. He's just relaxed at home. David got out of bed. And was walking on the roof of the palace. Remember he said. His house. Is up the hill. So he is able to see everything going on. Down there. So as he looked out over the city. Oh he noticed something. He noticed a woman. Of unusual beauty. Taking a bath. He noticed a woman taking a bath. Verse 3. Then he sent someone. To find out who she was. And he was told she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, and the wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Wife of Uriah, the Hittite. Verse 4, Then David sent messengers to get her. And when she came to the palace, he slept with her. There is a sexual abuse again. He slept with her. She had just completed the purification rites after having her menstrual period. Then she returned home. Verse 5. Later, when Bathsheba discovered that she was pregnant, she sent David a message saying, I'm pregnant. I'm pregnant. That's a message that she finally sent to him. And today we'll talk about a very old, painful, but familiar story. The Bible says from his rooftop, David noticed this attractive neighbor, this attractive woman down there, 
Bathsheba. And she was taking a bath. And he could not hold himself. He could not discipline himself. And he sends this man and his bodyguards to go and talk to her and bring her to the palace. And then he had sex with her. And she conceived. In an attempt to try to cover up the pregnancy, David, he started to call or to recall uh, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah, from the battlefield. And Uriah came back from the battlefield. And David wanted to go, he wanted, he wanted him, he wanted uh, Uriah to go back to Bathsheba. That he can sleep with her so that when, when the pregnancy starts to show up, to show, then, then everybody will say, well, after all, remember he came back during the battle and he slept with his wife. So in, instead of going home that night, Uriah went to stay with the security guards. That's very interesting. He went to stay with the security guards at the gate to protect the king. Make sure that the king is safe. He was very, very loyal. He was very, very loyal. And the next day we see David he discovered that Uriah did not go home. What did David do? Let's see what he, what's the next thing that David did after that. What he did here, you know, it just makes the situation worse. 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 12. The Bible says, well, stay here today. That's what uh, David said to him after he discovered that he didn't go home. And tomorrow you may return to the army. So Uriah stayed in Jerusalem that day. And the, and the next, then verse 13, then David invited him to, to dinner. This was a trap. He invited him to dinner. Look at what he did. And he got him drunk. He made him drunk. With the hope that when he's drunk, he will lose his reasoning capacity. Then he will go home. But even then, he couldn't get Uriah to go home to his wife. Wow. Uriah refused to go home. Again, he slept at the palace entrance with the king's palace guard. Again, he stayed with the, with, with the security guards to take care of the king. The very same king who doesn't care about him. The very same king who lies to him. David invited him to come and eat dinner. And he made him drunk. You know, Uriah has so much integrity. He could, not, he could not sleep at home with his wife. He could not rest at home with, with his family. Instead, of, he keep on taking care of the king. He refused to go home and sleep with his wife. Because he knew that the other soldiers, they are engaged in a warfare. They are engaged in a warfare. I want us to see another thing that David did. It's so, it's so evil. Really, really evil. The next thing that David did after he lost uh, uh, the battle of trying to push Uriah to go back home. Let's look at 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 14. The Bible says, So the next morning, David wrote a letter to Joab. So he wants to send this letter to the, uh, to the battlefield, to Joab. Look at what he did. He write this letter and he give it to Uriah to deliver it. 
The letter instructed Joab and said, Station Uriam on the front lines where the battle is fierce. Then pull back. Pull back so that he will be killed. So Joab assigned Uriah to a spot close to the city, the city wall, where they knew, I mean, he knew the enemy's strongest men were fighting. Verse 17, verse 17. And when the enemy soldiers came out of the city of, to fight, Uriah the Hittite was killed, unfortunately, along with several other Israelite soldiers. Very innocent man, very, very loyal man, was killed. Was killed. So, David wanted Uriah to be killed because he impregnated his wife. And Uriah refused to go home and sleep with, 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 her, with his wife. Surely, Uriah was finally killed in the battlefield. Now, after all this drama, here comes David. He wants to find out if there is a way he can try to defend himself or protect himself. And he's so much convinced that nobody will know. Nobody will know that he had sex with the wife of one of his faithful soldiers. He thought nobody will know that he impregnated her. Nobody will know that he made Uriah drunk. Nobody will know that he lied. Nobody will know that he had, a, he had a hidden agenda. Nobody will know his shadow mission. Nobody will know that he had an ulterior motive. Nobody will know that he killed Uriah. You know, the poor Uriah, he thought David is doing him a favor. Whereas David had a motive. Some people will do you a favor with a motive. Some people will do you a favor with a motive. Sometimes people do things to impress, to improve, to impress other people. People will do things with impure motives. Some people get into the ministry for popularity. Some people get into the ministry for money. You know, Proverbs chapter 16, verse 2, the Bible says, People may be pure in their own eyes, but the Lord examines their motives. The Lord examines my motives. He knows why I do, why, why I do what I'm doing. The Lord examines your motives. Not everyone who helps you has a pure motive. Not everyone who is doing good has a pure motive. Some people do what they do because they believe it will open doors for them in heaven. And they work so hard here on earth. And my question to you is, why do you do what you are doing? Why do you help him? What, what, what is your real motive for helping him? You know, I wrote a book. The name of the book is Self-Leadership. Chapter 3, I talk about discovering your true motives. How do you discover your true motive? Why do you do what you are doing? 
I mean, the real motive, not what you are telling us, not what you are telling your pastor, not what you are telling your, your congregation, not what you are telling your wife, but the real motive of doing what you are doing. What is the real motive? Because God knows that motive. God knew that David was not good to Uriah. He had a motive. He was hiding his, his own sin. God is concerned about our motives and the reasons for doing what we are doing. Some people, they give in church so that they could be listed in the top 10 givers in the church. They are the highest givers in the church. They do not give because they love God. They give because they want to be popular. They want to be recognized. I know, I know there are some pastors who will even call you up front and recognize you. But God does not look at what you are giving. He's looking at the motive. That's why he says, God loves a cheerful giver. Your motive makes, it makes a big difference before God. Well, why, why do you give? Do you give cheerfully or do you give for recognition? You know, David forgot that you can fool everybody but not God. You can hide from everybody, but you cannot hide from God. God knows everything. He knows what, what we are doing during the day. He knows what we are doing even at night. Sometimes we do things, you know, convincing ourselves that nobody will know, especially if it's shameful things. Yes, yeah, sometimes it's true, nobody will know. Nobody will ever know, actually. Because we look up and forget that there is God up there. We look to the left and we don't see anybody. We look to the right and we, we don't see anybody. And we think nobody will ever know. We forget that when you look up, there is a God in heaven. There is a God in heaven who sees everything. A God in heaven who sees our motives. A God in heaven who sees what we are doing. And finally, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 20, the Bible says, When Uriah's wife heard that her husband has died or is dead, she mourned for him. 27. When the period of mourning was over, David, look at David. This guy is very persistent. David, he sent for her and brought her to the palace and she became one of his wives. Then she gave birth to a son. But the Lord was displeased with what David had done. The Lord was not happy with what David has done. It did not please God. It did not please God. There are some people always, when I hear some preachers, we always look at this scenario and we look at it and we describe it as that adultery. Which implies mutual consent. I don't see that here. If you can examine the details of this story. It is actually a sexual abuse of power. In other words, this is called rape. It's called rape. It was not an affair between two consenting adults. It was rape. She did not agree to go to the palace willingly. She, she, she was forced because, you know, during that time, during that time, you, you could not just go to the palace. You could only go to the palace when, when the king invites you. You remember the story of Esther? 
It's a very good example. You can only go to the king's place when he invites you. And when he invites you, he cannot say no. You know, if you look at verse 4, David did not send one messenger. He sent messengers just to make sure that Bathsheba comes. She complies. Now, if you look at this whole story, anyone who did not comply to the king's commands will die. Look at Uriah. Uriah did not take David's commands. He did not take his directives and he was killed. He killed him. And after he killed him, nothing happened. David is not even arrested. David does not even go to court. Nothing happened after that. You talk about injustice. Talk about injustice. And today we see the same thing with our politicians. Those who have money and political connections, political influence, they never go to jail. They can still billions. I'm not talking about millions here. I mean, they've graduated from millions these days. <laughs> They're still in billions of rands. Or they, they even deprive the poor people in the rural areas. Basic necessities like water. But nothing happens to them. They're still roaming around, giving stitch, speeches. They continue to shine and give political speeches all over in the rallies and everywhere. I mean, people do not eat a good political speech. People do not drink a powerful, uh, convincing political speech or a memorial lecture. That does not help the country with anything. It's just a speech. That's it. People need basic stuff. They need water. They need food. They need jobs. You know, David behaved exactly like a, a typical politician. When David called Bathsheba, the Bible does not say that she knew that she was going to be having sex with a king in the palace. No, no. Maybe when she was called, she was assuming that since her husband is in the battlefield, maybe she was summoned because uh, maybe he died. She was going to be informed that he died. And the Bible says David took Bathsheba and he laid with her. So we cannot blame Bathsheba for what happened. Actually, even God blamed David. If you go to 2 Samuel chapter 11, verse 27, the Bible says the thing that David had done displeased God. God did not like it. Bathsheba did not seduce David. You know, after committing all these sins that we're talking about, raping Bathsheba, lying, making Uriah drunk, and finally killing the husband, God still calls him a man after his own heart. And my question is why? Why? God, are you fair? I mean, in the next chapter, God sent the, the prophet Nathan to David. And he told him that, you know, what you have done is wrong. He gave him a parable, a story of a rich man. So there was a rich man. This man, he had cattle, he had sheep, he had everything. He was rich. And his neighbor was very, very poor. Very, very poor man. He only had one, he had only one, well, he had only one land. And one day, this rich man, he had some guests, he had some visitors. And what he did, he went to this poor man and he took his poor 
and only lamb and he killed it when he killed it he prepared it for for his visitors prepared it for his visitors and before you know the prophet finished his story before he finished talking david got so furious second samuel chapter 12 verse 5 the bible says david was so furious and he quickly said as surely as the lord lives he vowed any man who will do such a thing deserves to die deserves to be die or to be killed he must repay four lambs for the poor man for the one he stole and for having no pity the prophet said something in verse 7 then nathan said to david king you are that man you are that rich man that you are talking about and he continued to tell him what he did let's go down to verse 13 verse 13 the bible says then david confessed to nathan i have sinned against the lord i have sinned against the lord maybe if it was you and me we would have started to argue right and asked for proof and evidence and all those kind of stuff david was so quick to repent so quick to repent quick to obey you know if you look at the book of deuteronomy chapter 22 according to the rape and the adultery laws david deserved to die after raping this woman but the bible says he cried to god for mercy during this time of trouble you know psalm 31 verse 9 the bible says he cried and said have mercy upon me O lord for i'm in trouble my eyes are consumed with grief yes my soul and my belly psalm 103 verse 8 the bible says the lord is merciful and gracious slow to anger and plenteous in mercy he will not always chide neither will he keep his anger forever god's anger is for a while but his mercy is plenteous and without end i want us to look at david's prayer for mercy before we close david's prayer for mercy david wrote this uh, psalm 51 after nathan the prophet came to him and told him that king you are that man you are that man and this is what you call the prayer for mercy. Have mercy on me, O God. Because of your unfailing love. Because of your great compassion. Blot out the stain of my sins. Wash me. Clean from my guilt. Purify me from my sin. For I recognize my rebellion it haunts me day and night against you and you alone i have sinned i have done what is evil in your sight you will be proved 
right in what you say. And your judgment against me is just. For I was born a sinner. Yes, from me. And from the moment my mother conceived me. But you desire honesty from the womb. Teaching me wisdom. Even there. Purify me from my sins. And I'll be clean. Wash me. And I'll be with them. Well, I mean, I'll be whiter than snow. Oh. Give me back my joy again. You have broken me. Now, let me rejoice. Don't keep looking at my sins. Remove the stain of my guilt. Verse 10. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Renew a loyal spirit within me. Do not banish me from your presence. And don't take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. And make me willing to obey you. Then I will teach your ways to rebels. And they will return to you. Forgive me for shedding blood. O oh God who saves. Then I will joyfully sing of your forgiveness. Unseal my lips, O Lord, that my mouth may praise you. You do not desire a sacrifice. Remember I talked about giving? Or I will offer one. You do not want a bent offering. God doesn't care about your offering at some point. The sacrifice you desire is a broken spirit. That's what God wants. God wants us to go to him with a broken spirit. He continues to say, You will not reject a broken and repented heart. Oh God, Lord, with, look with favor on Zion and help her. Rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. Then you'll be pleased with sacrifice offered in the right spirit. In other words, God will only accept my offering when I do it in the right spirit, when I'm right with him, then bulls will, will again be sacrificed on your altar. That is a prayer for mercy that David had offered after he had sinned. David did not become arrogant before God. And that's why God loved him. He went to God and he asked for forgiveness. Most of us will walk around with our arrogance. Even if we know that we have sinned, we can't go to God and say, I'm sorry. We have our own self-righteousness. Because of our positions, we feel like we are too high to apologize. We are too high to go and confess before God. We may look at David and think he is really bad. He was even worse than you. But God still called him a man after his own heart. Why? Because David repented when he had sinned. You know, Romans chapter 3, it says, All of us who have sinned and have come short of God's glory. None of us is better than David. None of us is righteous. But when we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. When God forgives us, he forgets. 
When you confess and say, Lord, I'm sorry, he forgives you. He says, as the west is from the east, so I will throw your sins away. In other words, you will no longer be attached or connected to your sins again. We live with people. People may not forgive you, but God will. God will. Maybe Uriah's family, they never forgave David. But God forgave him. People may always even try to remind you of what you have done in the past. None of us, nobody has a clean past. None of us. All of us, we have the past. Sometimes the shameful past. We have the present. And one thing for sure is we have a great future in Christ. You know, some people, they always want to use your past to make you feel guilt, to live with guilt. And in case they forget, they can even go on Google, go on Facebook and search for your past. They look at what you did 10 years ago, 15 years ago, maybe 5 years ago, maybe even 3 years, or maybe even 3 months ago. They want to search for your sins. And God says, I have forgiven you. And they try to remind God and God says, I don't know what you are talking about. I can't remember what you're talking about. I have forgiven him. He's a new creation. In Christ, all things have passed away. I don't know what you're talking about. His sins have been forgiven. He confessed his sins and I have forgiven him. God is not a man or the son of man that he can lie. He's God. That's why he's called God. He's not like you and me. God can do anything. He can forgive and forget. He can forgive and forget, including for the forgiveness of our sins. And the devil will always want you to live with guilt. He always wants you to live with guilt conscious, always wants to remind you, always wants you to live in condemnation in your life because of your past. Every time something bad happened, you remember because of your past, you remember because of your past. And I've had some pastors who preach this kind of gospel also. They wanted to live with condemnation always, the gospel of condemnation. You know, Romans chapter 8 verse 1 says, Now there is no more condemnation to those who are in Christ. When God has forgiven you, He has forgiven you indeed. Some people, they always talk about your past because they have not forgiven you. They want you to remember all, all the bad things that you have done. They, they still talk about your failures and your shortcomings. But I want to assure you tonight, or this morning, if you have confessed to God like David did, God has forgiven you. God has forgiven you. And by the way, something very interesting. Our opinions means nothing to God. God does not consult with anyone, any human being, when he wants to forgive you. He does not seek human opinion. Or approval on who should qualify to be forgiven and who should not qualify to be forgiven. The devil will always remind you of your past and God says you are forgiven. When he reminds you of your past, when he reminds you of your failures, please remind him of his future, of where he's going also. He's going to hell. He's going to burn. God wants a contrite heart. 
not an arrogant heart. Mercy means getting what you do not deserve. Justice means getting what you, you deserve. Mercy is not fairness. If justice was to be applied, David deserved to die. David deserved to go to jail. You know, we do not want God's justice upon our lives. We need his mercy. Because justice says, David, you have been found guilty. You have sinned. And you should die. Mercy says, David, you are forgiven because you confessed your sins. Mercy is not fairness. We all deserve hell and punishment by God. But because of his mercy, we are his children today. We qualify to go to heaven today. His mercies are new every morning. Let's approach the throne of grace every day with boldness, with the full knowledge that his mercy is enough every day. Amen?